If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be picking up where we last left off. But before we do that, let's go once again to the Lord and acknowledge our dependence upon Him. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, indeed, as we just sang, we thank you for the chart and compass that gets us on our journey home, all the way home. And we thank you, Father, for your word and spirit, indeed, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And we thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that enlightens our minds so that we can understand your word, but also um, constrains our wills so that we can joyfully and gladly obey what is before us in your word. And so, Father, would you be pleased now to speak to your people through your word and by your spirit. Father, we come to you through your word now from below, not from above. Enable us to submit our hearts and indeed our lives to your revealed will. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of current cultural trends um, around us these days. I'm sure any of you could name a number. Uh, we talk about, you hear on the news, um, uh, being in a divided country. You, you hear um, issues of immigration. Um, but something I've been hearing lately, um, issues of identity. Um, this idea um, of, of personal identity, and indeed, there's a whole aspect of the political world that is uh, politics uh, of identity. Seems like everything and everyone is awash in this, this idea of identity, and people are affirmed by our culture to create or to determine their own identity. I mean, 10 years ago, would it have been thinkable that 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 whether that how someone views themselves as male or female is up to them to determine gender identity is just one of them um, questions of identity are everywhere including as we've been seeing in the gospel according to mark Remember, we are in Mark's gospel, as I like to call it, the shortest catechism, where we hear over and over and over again three questions and answers. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And how should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus? And indeed, how someone responds to who Jesus is and what he came to do is a matter of life and death. And a person's response to Jesus reveals their identity, who they are. And so reading Mark's gospel helps to answer two questions of identity. Who is Jesus and who are we? We're over halfway in Mark's gospel, you know, it's 16 chapters and in the middle is a hinge and that hinge is the confession of faith where Peter, representing all the disciples, says, you are the Christ when asked by Jesus the question, who do you say that I am? It's a question of identity. 
But then immediately following is that call to discipleship. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Again, a question of identity. Now, three times thus far in Mark's gospel, in chapters 8, 9, and 10, Jesus has spoken about his upcoming suffering, death, and resurrection. And in chapter 11, which we began a few weeks ago, we saw where Jesus has now entered Jerusalem. He won't leave Jerusalem. We're in the last week of his earthly ministry, and there is a lot going on. For the last few weeks, we have seen Jesus in the temple and Jesus being opposed in the temple, the center of Jewish religious life. We've seen Jesus be intimidated by the chief priests, scribes, and elders when they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority? We've also seen the opposition from the Pharisees and Herodians to Opposite groups and yet united in their opposition to Jesus try to trap him with a political question concerning uh, is it right or not to pay taxes to Caesar. We've also seen the Sadducees, another group of the Sanhedrin, uh, spring a theological question on Jesus having to do with the resurrection and marriage. Not in an attempt to, to learn Not in a genuine curiosity, but an attempt to discredit and ultimately destroy Jesus. And two weeks ago, we saw in verses 28 through 34 of chapter 12, a scribe coming to Jesus asking what most believe, what I believe is a sincere question. Which is the most important commandment of all? And Jesus answers by drawing attention to the commandment to love God and To love neighbor. And in view of the scribe's response to Jesus' answer, Jesus declares that this man is not far from the kingdom of God. Yet in being close to the kingdom of God, he's still outside of the kingdom of God. Well, in today's text, which will conclude Jesus' public ministry uh, teaching in Mark, we will see Jesus take the initiative And as it were, go on the offensive by not responding to questions being asked him, but rather by asking a question and then by issuing a warning. And we will see that he continues teaching on the most important commandment of all, to love God. And the second one that comes along with it, that being to love your neighbor as yourself. The first... um, division of the outline you see is Jesus exegetes the scriptures. Now, in a moment, I'm going to talk about what that word means, but join with me as I read verses 35 through 37. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Jesus exegetes the scriptures. Well, 
a word about exegesis. Well, what does that mean? Kids, I didn't learn this, this word for a long time. I was old, but it's, here we are. An important word, as you will see. What does it mean, exegesis, exegete? To interpret a passage on its own terms. Literally, the Greek word means to draw out, like you would be drawing water out of a well. And the goal in exegesis is to analyze passages carefully so that the words and intent of the passage are as clear as possible. Now, in addition to exegesis, there is eisegesis. And that is reading meaning into a text rather than reading a meaning from a text. And thus, to exegete is to expose the scriptures and not impose on the scripture. Jesus explains and opens up the scripture here. He exegetes, he exposes, he draws out by asking a question that you'll notice he doesn't answer because he wants his listener to think, to consider, to ponder. And that would be the people who heard him speak these words. That would be Mark's original readers. And that would mean us in February of 2017. Jesus asked a question, but you'll notice there are a couple of questions. And Jesus is taking the initiative here to continue to expose the religious leadership's ignorance of the scripture. Remember his accusation to the Sadducees, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Behind these two questions that you see about how can the scribes say the Christ is the son of David and then so how is he his son? Behind those two questions is this one question Jesus is asking. Is the Messiah Human? Is he only human? Or is he also divine? Now Jesus' question seems to suggest that the scribes were teaching that the Christ would be subject to David. The Christ, the Messiah, the, the anointed one. The one that the scriptures pointed forward to. David's greater son. It would seem to suggest that they were teaching that Christ would be subject to David. In other words, in the teaching of that day, you would hear them teaching that this Messiah would be great, but not as great as David. He would be a great political and military figure as the great throng of people acknowledged and recognized as Jesus entered Jerusalem. You know, it, it seems like almost every time we have to say that the people were expecting a political and military leader. They weren't expecting someone to liberate them spiritually. But you know what? You have to keep saying that over and over again. Why? Because that's what the people expected. I, I read an article the other day. It was interesting. It said um, a lot of Christians that this man wrote, he said a lot of Christians that he knows um, spend a lot more time on political blogs and news than they do in the Bible. 
I mean, it's fine to be interested in politics, and my goodness, we need Christians actively involved in the civil sphere, absolutely. But is that where you're being fed? Is that where you're looking for deliverance? Times really haven't changed. Many people today are still looking for that liberator politically. Indeed, politically and militarily as they did in the first century. But Jesus here is drawing their attention to David's spirit-inspired declaration that the Messiah would be his Lord. If David called the coming Messiah his Lord, then he must be greater than David. And Jesus used Psalm 110 to show that these scribes, these religious leaders who prided themselves on knowing the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, meditating on the right of God, teaching the Word of God, that they were wrong. So turn with me to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. What does it teach? Psalm 110 is the most quoted passage in all of the New Testament. That must, that's a pretty amazing claim, isn't it? More times than any other passage from the Old Testament, Psalm 110 is quoted or alluded to or referred to in the New Testament. You'll notice how it starts in verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You see in there the first Lord is all capitalized because that is Yahweh, God's covenant name. The one true living God. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The second Lord is a translation of the word Adonai, which um, means the, the, the ruler or or. The, the, the king, the, the Lord. And often God is referred to as, as both. He's the Lord, He's the Lord God. He is the covenant-keeping, personal, knowable Lord, but He's also the ruler. And you see that. But you see Jesus is making a point. He's saying that the one who David calls Lord, the Lord says to my Lord, must be far greater than David. David's son, in other words, could only be his Lord if he existed before him and after him. Jesus here is questioning the Jewish religious authorities' understanding of the Scriptures. Remember, they questioned Jesus' authority, and in asking this question and in presenting this, he is questioning their authority to understand and interpret and apply the Word of God. Now this, in how Jesus presents this, is forcing a re-examination of their assumptions about the identity and nature of the Messiah. Again, notice Jesus doesn't, he asks the question, but he doesn't answer the question. Now, before you bash the scribes, the scribes' understanding wasn't wrong as far as it went. The scribes are saying the Messiah is going to be the son of David, right? And the people recognize that as Jesus comes in to Jerusalem, and indeed blind Bartimaeus, uh, Jesus, uh, son of David, have mercy on me. It was recognized. 
But it was inadequate. It didn't go far enough. Yes, the Messiah would be the son of David, but Jesus is emphasizing, Scripture also says that this son of David would be the Lord of David. In other words, it was as, it was as good as, as far as it went, but it left out some information. It was, it, it, it was inadequate. Um, earlier this week, I got a text from a friend who uh, said something like, too few of my friends... Um, recognize this and he attached a picture and the picture was of a coliseum with people in the middle and a lion getting ready to attack and devour these people standing in the middle of the coliseum and underneath it were these words God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life would we not agree that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our life? Absolutely. But as you heard from our prayer and you hear elsewhere, what is the Christian life? Suffering, difficulty, trials. Does God have a wonderful plan for our lives? Absolutely. Is it a life full of suffering, battling sin, possibly losing our physical lives? Absolutely. It's good, that statement is great as far as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't capture the totality, the, the whole counsel of God's word. And here, Jesus is just bringing that matter to bear. So how about you? Ask yourself, is your knowledge of Jesus right now adequate or inadequate? Is it partial or is it complete? Now, on, on the one hand, all of our knowledge is inadequate and impartial. Hey, we're talking about the second person of the Trinity. But just ask yourself, how aware are you of what Scripture says about Jesus? Who's both the Lamb of God, but also the Lion of Judah. As J.I. Packer writes in his magnificent work, um, Knowing God, he speaks of the goodness and severity of God. Here again, Jesus is addressing the problem of an incomplete understanding, an inadequate understanding. True as far as it goes, but it needs to go further. So they are wrong because they do not know the Scriptures. And along with not knowing the Scriptures, Jesus also makes it clear that they do not obey the Scriptures. And so in addition to asking a question, Jesus issues a warning, as we will see when Jesus exposes His enemies. Join with me as I read verses 38 through 40. And in His teaching, He said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Now why these two portions of scripture I believe are tied together notice verse 35 and as Jesus taught and verse 38 and in his teaching 
he said. So Jesus not only exegetes the scriptures, he, he exposes them, he opens them up, he also opens up and exposes his enemies. Enemies? Really? Jesus has enemies? Uh, of course, we know that there are those that are opposing him, but is it really right to say that Jesus is exposing his enemies? Isn't that a little bit over-the-top language? Well, consider this. In both James and 1 Peter, one we read that this part and the other we didn't, we see this, that God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. Most of us know that we've got three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, which we battle variously. It's also possible to have God as your enemy. God opposes the proud. Jesus is addressing the fact that their behavior is external. They sought honor from men instead of the honor that comes from the Lord. He, they were proud. They craved recognition and status. They use their position to further themselves. They are focused on earthly power. And who should that remind us of? The disciples. Wanting to be great in the kingdom. What's interesting is in looking at their behavior as being external. There's really no love for God. The first table of the law. The first four commandments. There's no love for God. There's a lot of love for themselves. And the honor that should go to God. And interestingly in, in doing this as we saw in our uh, talks about the ninth commandment recently in class. They're bearing false witness against about who they were. Hypocrisy is not trying to obey God and falling short, which is what all of us do. Hypocrisy is pretending you are pious and holy when you're not. Jesus is addressing hypocrisy, the wearing of a mask, the wanting to appear more godly to those around you than wanting to be humble before the Lord, knowing that you're only righteousness and holiness is coming from him and not from yourself. Their behavior is external. There's no love for God, but interestingly, their behavior is also immoral. There's no love for neighbor. What is it they do with widows, houses? They devour them. My friends, that is not a that is not a good, kind, pleasing, pleasant word. You see, at this time, scribes were dependent upon the, um, the gifts of people. And widows, they would press and make feel guilty and trick them and have all sorts of ungodly means to acquire their property acquire their wealth and use it for themselves. My friends, it sounds an awful lot like what takes place 
today. As people are fleeced by religious practices. There's immorality craftily carried out under the guise of religion. And notice it's widows' houses. And how does the Lord feel about widows? Over and over and over again, especially in the Old Testament, widows have a, have a special place, as do orphans, in God's sight. And God's people have always been told to take care of the weak and the helpless. And here these religious leaders are devouring widows' houses. And so Jesus, of course, issues a stern warning. A stern warning to those who don't love God with all of their heart and their soul and their mind and their strength, nor do they love their neighbor as themselves. Greater condemnation is what Jesus says they have to look forward to they will receive the greater condemnation. Why? Because of all people, they should have known better. With Mark mentioning how the scribes treat widows, he is setting up the next narrative account of Jesus' observation of a widow and then what Jesus will teach his disciples. So not only did the scribes here, we see, have a superficial doctrine. It didn't go deep enough. It didn't go far enough. They also had a superficial practice. And with these solemn words, Jesus' public teaching in Mark is ended. From here on out, he'll be focused once again on his disciples. He won't focus on the crowds. He won't focus on the religious leadership, but into those men whom he will entrust the furtherance of the gospel. Well, let's finish up now by going back to the title as it calls us to ask us a few questions about identity. And remember that scripture is like a window through which we see who God is and what God does. Through scripture, we God reveals himself to us. But scripture is also like a mirror into which we look and we see ourselves. So the question first is this. Who are you? Are you someone who hears Jesus gladly? Did you get that? The crowds heard Jesus gladly. Are you someone who looks to Jesus to rightly interpret the word of God? Are you someone who hears and heeds the warnings he issues? Who are you? But then again, here's this question. Who is Jesus? Jesus is wanting people to see that he is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the promised redeemer, rescuer. He is the one who is the mediator, who is the God man. And yet their hard and stubborn hearts are preventing them from seeing who Jesus is. And he's right before them. 
Who is Jesus? He is fully human. He is fully divine. It's the incarnation. God had to be, excuse me, Jesus had to be fully man in order to make atonement for man, but He had to be fully God for that atonement, that sin-bearing sacrifice to be acceptable before God. My friends, if Jesus is just a man and not God, there is no hope for us because He's just a good example for us to try to follow. But if Jesus is just God and not also a man, then how can He sympathize with us? How can He know our suffering and our temptation? Who are you? Who is Jesus? And finally, back to this question, who are you? Who are you? Are you someone who has been convinced, convicted of your sin and misery? That's what Mark is laying out before us. Are you someone who has apprehended the mercy of God in Christ? Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Are you that person? Am I that person? Are you someone who has been persuaded and enabled to embrace Jesus Christ as He is freely offered in the Gospel? That's what Mark is doing. He's laying out the Gospel. And finally, are you someone who has received and is presently resting upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation as He is offered in the Gospel? That's what's taking place in our text. It's a question of identity. Who is Jesus and who are you? My friends, no one who encounters Jesus as he is revealed in the scriptures, no one walks away from that without being changed. One man, as we know, walked away sad. Others walked away and couldn't wait to tell others that they had found the Savior. They had found the Messiah. They had found the one Scriptures pointed to. May God be pleased to continue to grow us in our understanding of who we are, who Jesus is, and the magnificent grace that is found in Him alone. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, indeed our understanding of your word is inadequate. Our understanding of who Jesus is doesn't go far enough. And we look forward to that day, Father, when the present limitations that we have will be removed and we will see him face to face. Until then, Father, will you be pleased to show that what we have is enough if we recognize that our sin has separated us from you and that you have made provision for us in Christ and that we are trusting in him and not ourselves to be right with you. Oh God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we thank you, Father, that for all of those who humble themselves before you, you have promised to exalt at the proper time. 
For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is Jesus? We respond.